we got here this morning and we set up the, you know, the fancy schmancy baptismal last night. Had some people come out and uh, we had the heater going and we were like, man, a degree an hour, we'll be good. We got here this morning and it had been turned off. It was awesome. It was great. But we MacGyvered it and got it up to 80 degrees. So it was, it was good. People were willing to pay a price, but they didn't have to. So that's awesome. I'm going to mute myself. Trying again. It's coming back. Anyway, we'll be all right. So I really thought, gauging on time, that I'd, I wouldn't have any. But man, you guys have done great. Got in and out really good. I'm impressed. It's pretty awesome. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go 45 instead of 10 this morning. I'm kidding. Maybe. I shouldn't say that. It, it goes bad when I, when I guesstimate low. So if you open your Bibles, open to 1 John chapter 4. If you weren't with us last week, don't feel bad. I wasn't either, but I heard uh, we had a great day of, of just worship and prayer, which we do from time to time. And kind of at the beginning of the year, um, we talked about this year, if anything can mark us, we want to be a people that pray. Like a people that genuinely pray, pray and believe, kind of in that James 1 idea that we pray with belief that God is going to do it. And so last week we were able just to spend some time of just singing and praying, praying together. And so grateful if you were here. Um, our family was up in snowy Kentucky for a weekend just to get away. So uh, I missed you if, if you were here. And if you weren't here, then you missed me. So um, yeah, that's, that's not as funny as it sounded earlier. So today, uh, we're in 1 John chapter 4, and I, I told Michael on the way down here, this could be a mess. Like, this is one of those days, like, we knew that doing baptism, communion, and everything that we're doing today would be a lot, but we think it's just authentic. Like, we think it's part of who we are. We do communion on the last Sunday of each month, and some months I don't feel like that's enough, um, but this month we do that, and like, baptism we celebrate as often as we can, and so we, we wanted to do both today. Uh, because I think both, when we do that, and, and this will kind of come out in the text a little bit, like, both make such a such an amazing proclamation, like we're, we're remembering the work of Christ, but we're celebrating the work of Christ now in the lives that he's changing, and we get to do that as a family, and so it, it's just, I don't know that it gets a whole lot better, like it, it's really, really good, and so today we're going to cover a short section in 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7, we're going to read through 12, um, we've been in 1 John for a while now, we've got a few more weeks left, and, and like I talked about in the past few weeks, like the way that John writes, not the way that he wrote the gospel, but specifically the way that he writes 1 John, he, he meanders a bit. It's just kind of the way that, that he's written. And so he'll, he'll hit a topic and he won't say everything he has to say about that topic. He'll move on and he'll come back. Today he comes back to this love idea, which he's mentioned several times already. He's mentioned as an indicator. He's mentioned it as the way that it should look and that, that Christ did it best and what it looks like to authentically love. And today he's going to mention a few other things about love and we're going to talk through those. And, and to be honest, like from a teaching perspective, I'm not a point guy. Like I don't have point one, point two, point three, but this particular text lends itself to that well, so we're going to do that, and it'll also keep me on track to not go over today. So let's pray together, and we're going to jump in to chapter 4, verse 7. God, we love you. Thank you so much for, for loving us. Thank you, Father, that it's demonstrated in, in who you sent, um, his obedience to come, and God, what he did when he got here. Uh, God, thank you that uh, your love is, is unmatched. Uh, your love is something that we didn't create, we didn't construct, um, and Father, it's, it's more than a benchmark. It's our reason for living. And so, God, we thank you for that. Thank you, God, that not only do you love us, you ask us to love you back, but you also give us direction and commandment to love one another, um, and you equip us to do so through the regenerative work of salvation. God, thank you that we got to celebrate that with five people today. And, and Father, I just I look forward to celebrating it with even more. Um, thank you that you are not done, not done with them as individuals, not done with us as a church family, not done with this city, um, and not done with us as a people. 
uh, that so desperately need you. Continue to, to draw men and women to yourself and allow us to celebrate that with you. Uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word, and thank you for allowing us to look at it today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So chapter 4, verse 7. Let's read 7 through 12. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. A few weeks ago, uh, Andrew took the, took the time of a couple passages ago to talk about what this love looks like, how we're called to love one another. But just as a reminder, like this was not John's idea. Like John, as close as he was to Christ, and he's an old man in this phase. He's been, he's been walking with Christ now for you know, maybe 60 years. He's at the, the, the end of his life, kind of the curtain call. And he's, he's telling people the same thing that he heard Jesus tell him uh, kind of at that table. Like, a new commandment I give to you. Like, when he, he heard Jesus talk about love, he saw Jesus display love. Uh, but at that table, like, Jesus got down, took on the form of a servant, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began to wash their feet. And then at the end of it, he said, do you understand what I did for you? Do, do you get it? What I've seen, I want you to do. And then at the end of that, he concluded with a new commandment that I give you. You are to love one another. And that's not what made it new, but what made it new was how he qualified it following it up. I want you to love one another the way I have loved you. And by this, the world will know that you are mine. He says, you're my disciples, but you are my followers. You belong to me. Um, I think we, we frequently talk about the fact that, that we have to take this, this message, this gospel, this good news and proclaim it to a world. Uh, but I think there has to be this idea that we're going to get to in a minute. Like our very best way of telling the world about Christ rests in the way that we love each other. We'll always rest in the way that we love each other. Uh, we, we look at early Acts, which we'll reference in just a bit, but, but in early, early Acts when, when the church was just an infant, uh, we look in Acts chapter 2 and it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It wasn't because of their oratory skills. It wasn't because of their big tent revivals. It wasn't because of any of those things. It was because the way they loved each other was conspicuous, odd, and it stood out. And people saw it. We have that very same opportunity. Very same opportunity to love like that. And that's the reason that John so frequently says over and over and over uh, there's this thing called love, and we need to do it well. So let's start in, in verse 7 and 8. It says, Beloved, or those whom I love, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I think the first thing that we see in this particular text is that love is not a creation of, our, of ours. Like, we didn't come up with this. This was not our idea. This was not some man-made construct in which we, we talk about uh, giving of ourself over, you know, over my desires for someone else's needs. We, we didn't come up with this. This was not our idea. Uh, we, we didn't sit down one day and we're like, man, what is the greatest demonstration of mankind and humanity that we can possibly fathom? Oh, it's love. Let us do that. No, it's not ours. We didn't come up with it. We didn't make it up. 
Right here it says, for love is from God, and then it qualifies a little bit. It says, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. When we display this type of love, this God-given love, this God-created love, there's a couple things that it does. Number one, um, it reveals to the world who God is. We'll get to that. But number two, it reveals who we know. Like it reveals who we know. We've talked about the book of 1 John in the sense that John is throwing out many of these things and we call them indicators. This is not necessarily a, a how to live, but it's talking to us about if you know God, then these things should be occurring, like indicators. Because one of the things that he tells them over and over and over, he's like, I want you to know that you know that you know God. Like, I want you to be aware of that. I want you to be confident in that. I want you to have assurance that you've actually been brought into a relationship with God. And in this particular place, he's like that indicator today that if this idea is if you love one another, like if you love one another, like genuinely, and the, the status has already been set, the benchmark, the model has already been set, that is Christ, the way that he loved us. And so it's not just this butterfly idea or just these, these simple notions of what love looks like, maybe us giving preference to someone over ourselves. But no, in this, the, the lines between these lines is if you love one another the way Christ loved you, then you can know that you belong to God. Like If we love one another like that. And so that causes us to do a little bit of work because we do have to ask the question, well, well how does Christ love me? How does Christ love us? And, and that's the way that we love one another. And, and that takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of question. It takes a little bit of, of thought on our part. So when we display his love, it is further proof that we know him. It's not the only proof. I think if we took just this text and we didn't read the rest of 1 John, we didn't read the rest of Scripture and view the big picture thing, we could say, well, man, if I'm just loving then I'm okay. Well, there's other things attached to if we know God too, like there's seeing our sin, confessing our sin. Uh, there are ways in which we live. There are ways in which we respond to adversity, things like that. Those are other indicators, but in this particular place, this section, John's pointing out, like if you love one another the way Christ has loved you, the subtext, then you can be sure um, that you've been born of God and you know God. But then he also gives this other statement in verse 8, anyone who does not love God or does not love, does not know God, because God is love. He's like, this is God. He created this love, and he's reproducing it in us as a byproduct of regeneration. And so if you're walking around in an unloving state, not loving people like Christ, then you can't know God. Because we can't simultaneously be unloving and be in union with God. He's, he's telling people right now, they, these things can't happen. And so I'm not trying to convict you, okay? Maybe, maybe scripture is, but if you're walking around and you're just an angry, upset person all the time and you're mean to people, don't claim Jesus in front of the world. You say, well, that's pretty harsh. No, no. Don't claim Jesus in front of the world if you're mean, if you're angry, if you don't love people. Because here, kind of clearly, it's like verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He's not just love. He's also just. He's also kind. He's also all those things. But in this place, again, context, everything. In this place, God is love. And if we've been remade in the image of Christ and we're being regenerated to look more and more like Christ, biblical word of sanctification, we can't be that and unloving at the same time. Can't be. Those two things are what we would call mutually exclusive. Unloving and knowing God, they can't exist at the same time. And so maybe that's convictional for you. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. So the first part is that love is not our creation. It is from God. When we display it as further proof that we know him. And, 
and then also kind of this warning. We can't be unloving people and be united with God at the same time. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Coming down to verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word only shows up in Greek about five times. That or the root word. We'll get to that in just a second. But this is the second thing that we, we come to understand from this particular text. God displayed his love, put skin on it by sending his son. Like this love that God is, this love that God has created, this love that God has imparted on us as a work of regeneration, a byproduct of our salvation, like he started it, he made it, and he perfectly displayed it by sending his son. His love was made manifest among us, was made real, was made clear through sending of his son who died on our behalf. That's love. Going back to the last chapter, it says, greater love is know this than, than a man would lay down his life for another man. Again, showing like that perfect example, alluding to Jesus, like this is how we see love. This is how we know love. This is how we know that God loves us. He sent his very son who was perfect and blameless, who had been sang about for all eternity, holy, 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 left that place, came down here and stooped and knelt and for us, for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the children of God. That's how we know that God loves us. That's how we know. Made manifest. Like, I, like, like that idea is like literally something that we thought of had skin put on it. Like that's such a perfect idea of what God did through Jesus. Like God left his place, came down, put skin on, dwelt among us so that we would know that he loves us. So that he would know, so that we would know that, that he loves us. Such a beautiful idea. Kicking back to verse John 3, uh, 18, 118, or 1 John 3, 18, uh, just even saying it right here. Little children, let us not love in, in word or talk, but in deed and truth. God demonstrated that first. Like God demonstrated that first. We're being told by John here, hey, don't just say that you love people. Actually do it. Actually show it. Actually live that out. Again, we look to God. We look at what he did. He didn't just say that he loves us, but he actually showed it by sending Jesus, Jesus being obedient, coming down, living a blameless life, dying a terrible death so that we may know God. He didn't just say it. He actually showed it. But also continuing in this idea, like God's love was not just, it was not just lip service. It was not just for no reason, but it had a huge purpose. It had a huge purpose, and that's where that, that big idea of propitiation comes in, or atoning sacrifice. Like God sent Jesus, not just so that we could see love, but so that we might get to experience this love too, so that we might get to live in this love, so that we might get to taste and see that God is indeed good and that he loves us to the end of himself. We see that through Jesus, but then we get to experience that because Jesus just wasn't a picture of that, but Jesus was a way into that for us. Like, understand, this was God's creation. He imparts it on us, but he imparts on us this love through salvation. And we couldn't have salvation. We couldn't have redemption. We couldn't have sanctification. All of these huge multisyllabic words. We couldn't have any of those things without Jesus coming, living perfectly, dying tragically, raising victoriously, and saying, just come, follow me, believe in me, and I will make you right with God. Allow me to be that propitiation, that huge word that we don't use, but allow me to die in your place because you're not good enough to do it. This is love. This is love that God made a way for me, made a way for you, even though by all standards we don't deserve it. 
There's not a single day that goes by that we could earn that. Not a single day, not our best day, would we be good enough for that. But God loved us enough anyway. And he said, let me show you. My perfect son, he'll come and live the life that you couldn't. He'll come, he'll die the death that you deserved. And he'll come and he'll lead the way into newness of life so that you can see it, so that you can believe it, and so that you can be mine. Propitiation. And this is love. I think Andrew did such a great job of talking about when we talk about love, when we think about love, what, are we, what, what images or what feelings do we conjure up? And I think he talked about like the middle school idea of what love feels like. You know, the, the writing the note and the passing the note over of, do you like me? I like you. Check a box. Let's see where this goes. You know, the butterflies, the sweat, all of those things. And those things are great. But they don't compare. Like, let's be honest. They don't compare to, to sending your son who was yourself to live a, a tragically painful life just so that people may have a chance at hope. And while others still spit on your name. That's love. That's huge love. God's love had a purpose, and that was to make a way for us. And his way was Jesus. That idea of lasmos or propitiation of just he died the death that we deserved, but our death would have accomplished nothing. It would have just been the end of us. But he said, my son's death can be the beginning for you if you just believe. And throughout this week, like one of the thoughts that's been on my mind, and, and maybe... From a pastoral perspective, I haven't said it enough, but maybe you haven't heard it enough. But God loves you. Like, God loves you. I don't know when the last time you had that said to you and that you truly believed it, but we have to understand it. Because otherwise, like, none of this would make sense. Because what other reason, what other rationale, what other motivation could exist uh, to, to push like the God of all things to do exactly what he did, to send his perfect son, uh, to live a terrible life, to die a tragic death, to do all of those things? Why else would he do that? Logic wouldn't make that happen. Morality wouldn't make that happen. Uh, your voting preferences wouldn't make that happen. All of the ways that you spend your money wouldn't make that happen. No, it would take the eternal love, the big love, the unimaginable love of an eternal God that's the only way that that could possibly happen. That's the only way. And that God who did all of that, he loves you. He loves me. He loves the we. He loves us. And most days I think he should not. Because <laughs> I, I don't know you super well, but I know me super well. And I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not worth that. But he considered me worth it. He considered you worth it. And that's grace. That's grace. I love that on this particular day, five people proclaimed they couldn't fix themselves. They couldn't fix themselves. There was not a day good enough that they could fix themselves. To see a little girl understand that with faith like a child, which we're told to have, who was about as tall as the water was deep, declare that she couldn't fix herself. To see four grown adults, one with a baby in the belly, declare they couldn't fix themselves. Do you believe that God loves you? Do this with me. Say this with me. Say that God loves me. On the count of three. One, two, three. God loves me. Say it again. God loves me. We're going to get us unified. One, two. 
two, three. God loves me. Let's do it again. God loves me. One more time. God loves me. Now do this. God loves you. One, two, three. God loves you. Say it. Believe it. Write it down. Talk about it. Live it. God loves you. God loves me. And, and I don't know if that sits odd with you because it's just such a small phrase and it's on bumper stickers and it's on t-shirts and there's, there's all kind of colors and balloons and so maybe we're just a little bit numb to it. But this God who made everything, ex nihilo, from nothing, made it all and then made man because he desired to have union with his creation and then we screwed it up. Like we screwed it up. And it's been screwed up. And so he loved us enough not to abandon us in the stew of our sin, but to create a way for us to send his only son to die in our place, even though we're the ones who screwed it up and continue to screw it up. That God, that God made everything, made us in his image. The Imago Dei, like did all of that from nothing. That God loves you. Makes absolutely no sense. But this is the gospel. We've been just repeating John 3.16 in our house for our kids because this, this is kind of a confession for me. Like I, I think about the ways that I intentionally invest in my kids, but I realized a few weeks ago that like helping my children commit Scripture to memory, I've fallen off. I haven't done it. I've dropped the ball. And like one night it just kind of became clear to me. I was reading with my son before bed, and he's 13. And I was like, you know, John 3.16. And I was like, you know what that says. And he couldn't get through it. And I'm like, oh, man. I have failed as a father. I failed as a father because every church kid, every church kid, you know, good, bad, sticking gum in the back of the girl's hair in front of them, probably knows John 3.16, but my kids did not, pastor's kids. And so just started helping them commit it to memory. But I remember just like the simple truth of like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. Like, like just like the simple truth cannot evade us, that God loves us so very much that he sent Jesus. It's baffling. It's baffling. Third thing. Third thing, if we look at uh, verses 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us this last idea. Like he's already told us to love one another. He's told us a couple times in this text. He's told us several times within this book. Uh, but in this particular place, he's doing it to get us to this last idea. And he's saying, if God loved us, we need to love one another. Okay, God set the standard. God created it. God gave us the ability to do so because we were without that ability to do so before the regenerative effect of salvation kicked in. A byproduct of our salvation is our ability to love one another as Christ has loved us. Okay, so he's like, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. But then verse 12, he's repeating something that he said in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 118, no one has ever seen God. Okay, sticking that out there. And John chapter 1 is talking about uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Talking about Jesus being the Logos, the actual Word of God, putting on flesh, dwelling among us. And then he concluded that section with, and no one has ever seen God. But now as a result of Jesus, they have. Because Jesus even said, when you have seen me, you have seen whom? You have seen the Father. 
And so now John's taking this a little bit further, and he's saying, look, uh, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. And then he's saying, no one has ever seen God, but this semicolon right here is almost like a but, but if we love one another, that God that no one has ever seen, he lives in us. Like, he lives in us, and his love is perfected or complete in us, so even though no one has ever seen the fullness of God physically, face-to-face, when they look to us and we get to love one another as Christ has loved us, he's made us able, he's equipped us to do so, guess what? They get to see God through us. And so not only is it uh, God set a standard, uh, God displayed his love through Jesus, God provided a way for us to know God through the propitiation of Jesus, but now he's saying the mission that rests on you is that you love one another so that the world may see me in you, through you, for my glory. So it comes full circle. A byproduct of us knowing God is our ability to love one another, and a byproduct of us loving one another is people get to see God. And that's how Acts chapter 2 happened. That's how Acts chapter 2 happened. So uh, the Pentecost occurs. The Spirit falls down. Thousands of people give their lives to Jesus. There's no seminar. There's no workshop. They just began to live in this quantity of this community, this family together. And they meet together daily. Uh, they devote themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread in their homes. They live with sacrificial and generous hearts at the same time. They love each other so conspicuously, so oddly that the world sees it and they're convicted because they've never seen a love that looks like that because it didn't exist like that before, and they're drawn in. And the Lord adds to their number day by day those who are being saved. Our greatest apologetic ever, our greatest ability ever to convey the gospel to people will be the way that we love the one another. And we've talked about it, like in Scripture we have this horizontal display of love. We have horizontal display of love to love your neighbor as yourself, but then we have this, this idea of loving the one another. The one another are those who have also been redeemed by the work of Christ, who are now in union with God, who can say that, yes, uh, Jesus is the Son of God, yes, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and yes, Jesus is my Lord. If we can declare those three things with full belief, then we are the one another's, and the way that we love these one another's points people that are not one another's to Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, he abides, he dwells in me, and if we do it right, we do it well, people will see God. So it starts with display, it goes to salvation, and then it propels us into mission. It starts with display, it goes to salvation, then it propels us into mission to understand that this love that God displayed It wasn't just for you and me. While God does love me, God does love you. He also loves them. He loves them just as much as he loves us, and he desires that none should perish and that all should come to know him. And our first and primary way to show them is the way that we love each other. I would love to say, let's let's grade ourselves, but I'm not that guy. And I think that would create a legalistic mindset too. And I'm, I am that guy, so I'm a little afraid to do it. Or I was that guy. But it does beg the question. Are we loving each other well? Like, are, are we hearkening back to the way that Jesus loved us, what we've known that he's done, and is that the kind of love that we display on one another? Like, I love mill trains, and we talk about those a lot. Um, I love baby showers, 
We get to do those a lot. I, I love when people are, are in, in difficult times and we get to provide for them, and those are great. If that's all we do, we have a problem. We're really good at those things, but is that all we do? Are we doing more? Are we really loving one another? Are we interceding for each other? Like, are we praying for one another? Are we seeing someone struggling with life, with sin, with loss, whatever it may be, and, and do we love them enough to stop and, and pray for them? Do we see them in life and loss and in sin? Do we love them enough to, to ask them, really, legitimately, how are you doing? How can I help? Do we see them in life, loss, or sin, and, and we say, look, um, I, I know where you are. You've told me. Now let me help. Do we stick our nose where it belongs? Do we love each other? Because Jesus said we have to. Not only is it a result of what he's done in us, but it's the way that people are going to see Jesus by the way we love one another. How are we doing? How am I doing? How are you doing? I think it starts with this. The first is just this. Like, We do have to remember and say it frequently that God loves me. That God loves you. Like, We have to remember that. Like, If, if there's any other motivation for us to live this life other than the fact that God loves us so incredibly much, we're just very religious people. What separates this, the truth of this, from every other system out there that wants to tell you that you can be good enough so that you can be good, what separates this is the love of God. Like the fact that everything that he did from front flap to back map was motivated by the fact that he loves us so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself because our sacrifice would have done no good. It's not about systems. It's not about rules. It's not about that. It's about God's love on display through the life, the death, the words, the resurrection of Jesus so that we may know God. All propelled by his love for us, not by our love to him. I love that in verse 10 it says, and in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Like if we want to look to what love, look, love looks like, don't look to the way that we display it. Look to the way that God displayed it. We have to remember that, that God loves me. God loves you. It changes everything. Thank him for it. Take stock of all the ways that he's shown it um, and share it. Remember that he loves you. Take stock of all the ways that he's done it. Uh, thank him for it and then share it. This is how I know that God loves me. Share it. Share it. The second is this. I think uh, we need to let his love fuel ours. Because it is this cycle. Like we wouldn't be capable of this kind of love without Jesus. And so we need to remember what God has done through him, the way that he has displayed love. And we need to let that love fuel ours. Number one, it needs to fuel our love for him back. Like our response to his love should be love back to him. Like we should love God. If we think so much about what he's done and how he displayed his love, that should create something in me that looks a lot like love directed back at him. God, thank you for doing this. As a result of that, I love you back. Now, granted, our love compared to his, it's not going to match up. It'll be paltry at best. But God's equipping us more and more. The more he sanctifies us to love him more fully. And hopefully 10 years ago, to be honest, hopefully 10 years ago, I loved him less than I love him now as a result of the work he's done in me. Hopefully he is expanding my ability to love him more as more of myself dies away and is washed away and more of him is reproduced in me. Hopefully that's the case. And so his love should fuel my love back for him. Next to that, his love should fuel my love for others too, the way that he loved me. Again, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, 
love one another, but not just love one another, love one another the way of I, the way that I have loved you. Just what you saw me do, everything that you've heard me say, everything that you're going to watch in the coming days to his disciples, like love each other like that. The admission is most days, almost all days, we're not capable in and of ourselves to do that. But God's love and God's redemption, God's regeneration is equipping us to do it more and more, better and better, more and like Christ, not so that we can earn something, but because we've been graced and granted something. That's access to God who is, according to this, love itself. And he's placing it in us. So allow God's love to fuel our love for him, fuel our love for others. The one another's and the rest. The one another's and the rest. The same way his love was after our best is the same way our love should be after everyone else's best. Like, because ultimately that's what God did with his love. He's like, look, I'm loving you like this because I want the best for you. I want the best for you. And the best for you is going to be union with me. And that's exactly how our love should look like for others. We shouldn't just love them to the point that we want their immediate circumstance filled and fixed and patched but we should love them so much that we want ultimate best for them. And ultimate best for them is the same as it is for me and you. It's union with God for eternity, and that only happens through Jesus. And so we seek for ways to love them to that best. We share the ways that we love one another. We share the gospel with words. When Jesus prompts us, when the Spirit of God prompts us to do so, we live in such a way that people see God so that they may declare him as Lord too, so that they can answer the same three questions that we ask the people in the water today. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Do you declare him as your Lord? Just those three things right there. It's the difference between an eternity with and an eternity without. Love them towards their best. Reveal him to the world. I think it may even be a little simpler for us this week to just ask the question, when was the last time you thanked God for loving you so much? And like meant it. You know, I think sometimes we get in that, that mode of prayer and we're like, you know, dear God, blah, 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 blah. Thank you, God, for loving me, blah, 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 blah. Now, I got to tell you what I need. But when maybe did our prayers revolve around the fact that the God of all creation actually loves me? And we're just responding to that with gratitude, with thanks. Even on the days in which Life is junky. God still loves us. On the days when things are great, God still loves us. In the days, in the words of my 13-year-old son, in the days in which we just mid, meh, God still loves us. When was the last time we just stopped and said, God, thank you for loving me on the good days, on the bad days, on the mid days. Thank you for just loving me. And then letting that propel us to everything else. Maybe we start there. Maybe we start there. God, today, I want to say thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me as I was. Thank you for loving me who you've made me to be. And thank you for loving me into who you're making me into. Thank you for loving me towards the best that I can possibly be, and that's through you. Thank you for loving those sitting here today. And maybe someone's hearing it for the first time that God actually loves them. Father, I pray that they would hear it and I pray that it would stir in them. You would use it to move in them for them to hear the truth that the God of all things, the God of all creation that made it all from nothing 
and made us as well, loves them. Let us be a people of gratitude this week for what you've displayed, what you've done, who you are. And even with the understanding that even if you didn't do a single other thing for us for the rest of our lives, your love would still be perfect, would still be full. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. So now we're, we're going to worship a bit more, um, and we have communion, which communion is a great extension of baptism. Baptism is thanking God for what he's done uh, in, in the life of people in this time and in their circumstance, and he's moving them beyond who they were into who he's desiring them to be. Um, and communion is we're remembering back to exactly what we read about today, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And Jesus even told those, those capital D disciples, when you do this, think of me. So remember me. And so as we take communion as a family, like we, we take the bread, we take the juice, and we remember that Jesus' body was broken on our behalf and his blood was spilled on our behalf. And we're remembering that. Uh, and we're remembering it together. Um, we have an open table when it comes to communion, so that means that, that if you can answer those three questions the same way that the people that were baptized today, that means that's the kind of that first qualification. You are united with God because uh, you believe that Jesus was the very Son of God. You believe that he died on the cross for your sins, and Jesus is your Lord. If you can declare those three things, then the table is open to you. But Scripture also informs us that we need to make sure that, that our heart, that our life is in a right place with God. So we don't have sin just kind of sitting there, festering, stewing. And so maybe before you can take communion, you spend a moment and you're like, God, is there any sin that's kind of outstanding with me? Is there anything that I haven't taken to you? And according to the first chapter of 1 John, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Is there anything that we just need to confess and repent to God before we take communion? And maybe today, like maybe A, you're not united with God through Jesus. And that's okay. Sit. Please sit. Don't feel pressure to get up and take the bread and the juice. And maybe you have sin that you can't let go of. Maybe you're at a place for whatever reason, and you just honestly say, I'm not ready to confess that. I'm not ready to repent that. I would encourage you to sit. Stay exactly where you are. Uh, we want to make sure that we're taking communion in a worthy manner and we're remembering Christ. We're honoring him in the moment. But then also we look forward to the fact that what he did in the past was to facilitate what he's going to do in the future. He's going to come back. And all of these things that plague us, all of these things that weigh us down, they're going to be gone. He's going to make everything just right. Uh, he's going to recreate what the garden was supposed to look like, and he's going to do it with more people and so that we get to live with him, new heaven, new earth, after his return for eternity. And so we look back, we look forward, and we do it together. And so whenever you're ready during the next song to take communion, just simply stand up, take the bread, and take the juice. You can, you can gather up with your family. You can come back to your seat however you feel like you want to do that. Um, but we celebrate what Jesus has done and what he's going to do. God, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for loving us first, showing us what that could look like, showing us what that can feel like, and Father, instructing us to do the same. Thank you for equipping us and empowering us to love the way that you have. Even on the days in which we do it poorly, God, the, the, the possibility is there. The hope is there. The ability is there. So God, thank you for that. God, I thank you that we are a people that are defined by your goodness and not our own. And as a result of Christ, God, you've called us to be more. You've called us to be yours. You've called us to be yours on mission with you. You've called us to be yours on mission with you faithfully so that others may know. God, I pray that we'd be a people that love each other well enough and good enough that the world sees you through that. 
and that you would add to your numbers day by day those who are being saved. Thank you for calling us out from where we were. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate five people, declare you as Lord in front of their family and friends today. And God, thank you that it won't be the last time. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.